Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When social media burst into our lives, many of us, including me, were in awe of its potential and much of the chatter was positive about this new way of staying in touch. But, you know, we started turning negative on it when we began to understand how social media can invade our privacy and shape choices in ways that aren't really transparent and potentially poison our democracy. This podcast is made possible by our friends at Democracy Group Podcast Network, reforming social media. Sanan Rao. And I think we absolutely must get past this question of, is social media good or evil? The answer is yes. The question is, how are we going to harness the promise of social media and avoid the peril? Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How, how do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? There's a growing consensus that Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and other social media platforms do have a really profound impact on how people shape their viewpoints, make decisions, and ultimately that affects the entirety of our society. Should we cut down to size or break up the tech giants, or is a more careful, nuanced approach needed? We hear the views of one of the world's leading thinkers about social media, Sinan Aral, who is a MIT professor, an entrepreneur, and an investor. His latest book is The Hype Machine, How Social Media Disrupts Our Elections, Our Economy, and Our Health, and How We Must React. This interview was recorded for the podcast Democracy Works, a member of Democracy Group, the podcast network that we belong to. The interviewer here is Jenna Spinelli. She asked Sanan Aral about his term for social media, the hype machine. So the hype machine is the social media industrial complex, the platforms like Facebook and Twitter and YouTube, Snapchat, WeChat, and so on, and all of the sort of ecosystem around those platforms that really are controlling now what people see, how people think about the world, whether it's about our elections or our democracy, to their social circles, to products to buy, to even artistic inclinations. And so really the book is a deep dive into how this system works, how the algorithms under the hood work, what is the neuroscience of it all, how does the economics of it work, 
And then what does that mean for our society from democracy to public health to our economy? And how can we fix it? That's really the main point of the book is how do we fix the social media crisis that we find ourselves in? Yeah. And for so long, I feel like the conversation around social media and democracy is broken down in a fairly binary way. On the one hand, there's this, I think that the pro-technology argument of these platforms are forces for democratic good because they bring people together. If this were 10 years ago, we'd be talking about the Arab Spring and, you know, all these sorts of things. And on the other hand, there is, well, these are just money-making corporations like everybody else. They don't really care about democracy. And it's, we've sort of been stuck in that paradigm, I feel like, for a while now. And I think your book, and as you were just starting to say, really takes a more nuanced view here and looks at both the promise and the peril that the hype machine offers. I mean, do you feel like we are at a place now where we can maybe start to have some of that more nuanced conversation and break out of some of these patterns we've been in when it comes to thinking about social media and democracy? I certainly hope so. And you hit the nail on the head. We had a decade of techno-utopianism followed by a decade of techno-dystopianism where the sky is falling and social media is destroying democracy and so on. And I think we absolutely must get past this question of, is social media good or evil? The answer is yes. The question is, how are we going to harness the promise of social media and avoid the peril? And we've had a number of really interesting movies and books recently. For instance, The Social Dilemma on Netflix. We had great books like Surveillance Capitalism by Shoshana Zuboff and Zucked by Roger McNamee. And really, my book takes off where these books and movies leave off, which is to ask, what do we do? What can we concretely do to achieve the promise of social media and avoid the peril? The sort of black and white arguments of good and evil are no longer helpful, in my opinion. Social media is targeting us personally on an individual level, suggesting stories or products for each of us. That can lead to a much more fragmented and splintered society. Janice Benelli asks Sinan Aral about the impacts on democracy. Well, I mean, I think that one of the most important questions facing democracy today is the implications of polarization, of factionalization of society, of affective political polarization, which is sort of the hatred of one party to another. I think this is one of the most serious threats to democracy. It threatens us being able to get anything done in Congress and in the executive branch in the United States. And polarization is taking rise in other parts of the world as well. Then Sinan Aral spoke about a theory suggested by James Surowiecki almost 20 years ago, which said large groups of people are smarter than an elite few at solving problems, fostering innovation, and coming to wise decisions. But that theory, suggests Sinan, could be outdated because of social media. Surowiecki wrote this great book called The Wisdom of Crowds in 2004, where he argued that wise crowds are much wiser than any expert or any individual's opinion. And the only problem, the math behind this and the evidence for these sort of the wisdom of crowds is great, but 
The only problem with this argument was that Sirowiecki wrote the book in 2004, the same year that Mark Zuckerberg invented Facebook. And the reason that's a problem is because the wisdom of crowds is based on three principles, the independence of opinion, the equality of voices of those opinions, and the diversity of opinions. And social media systematically destroys all three of those pillars. And so the algorithms of social media tend to polarize us, to increase affective polarization, to increase a certain point of view. And when you widen this out to the world and you talk about what's known as the splinter net, which is that some countries are banning certain social media platforms. There's the great firewall in China where they have different social media than the rest of the world. India has banned TikTok. The United States has threatened to ban certain social media apps. If we get a bifurcated or variegated set of social media apps around the world, we may have populations in different countries that have completely different worldviews. Then it becomes really difficult to have any common ground and therefore to solve global challenges like climate change and international conflict. You talk in the book about Spotify's Discover Weekly, I believe it's called, where Mm -hmm. there's a universe in which these algorithms could be harnessed to show people content that is different than what they're used to seeing or what might typically be prescribed for them. Can you talk a little bit more about what that looks like and whether you think it might be viable for news content or politically motivated content? Yeah. So we did a big experiment with the algorithm that recommends Spotify's podcasts, which include news podcasts and podcasts about democracy and politics and political science and all of those, as well as other podcasts. And what we found is that recommendations based on personal listening history tend to narrow one's listening portfolio, that you get narrower and narrower as I recommend more of what I think you like based on what you have seen in the past. But two really important caveats came out of this study, which is to say, although the algorithm created polarization in the content that we were listening to on Spotify, when we turned the algorithm off in the experiment, people's preferences went back to diversity. So people's preferences were resilient to the algorithmic narrowing that was created, which gives us hope that we can get ourselves out of the polarization created by algorithms. The second thing that we talk about in that study is the difference between single objective function algorithms, which are just narrowly trying to maximize your engagement, and multi-objective recommendation algorithms, which are also trying to do other things, like, for instance, give you more diversity allowing you to discover new things. And that Discover Weekly podcast or list by Spotify is a perfect example where one of the objectives there is to introduce you to new things. So I think the moral of the story is that we get what we build. We can actually design algorithms that benefit more than just the short-term engagement objective and perhaps give us new perspectives or an idea of what the other side is thinking or more diversity of thought. 
Yeah. So this clearly has taken hold in some form at Spotify. What is the appetite for this type of thinking or these types of changes at Facebook, Twitter, some of the other kind of major social media players? Well, I think it is increasing and it should be high. It should be high because I believe that the true sort of leaders of the new social age, as I call it, will be the ones that realize that in the long run, the long run shareholder value maximizing strategy for any of these social platforms is to align themselves with society's values, values that embrace diversity, things that are good for society, chasing short-term engagement with salacious, blood-boiling, polarizing content is not long-term sustainable because it meets with a backlash. It meets with a consumer backlash. It meets with a regulatory backlash, as we're seeing the delete Facebook movement, the stop hate for profit movement. We're seeing regulatory backlash in Congress. None of that is long-term shareholder value maximizing for the platform. So they should have a higher appetite for algorithmic design that benefits society and sort of creates sustainable, positive outcomes for society. And It's increasing because we even saw Jack Dorsey at congressional hearings in November and December say that he favors algorithmic choice on the part of the user, giving the user a suite of options of algorithms and letting them choose, I want an algorithm that gives me more diversity or that displays my content just in reverse chronological order with no waiting to certain posts or other posts and so on. And so there has been some indications of a move towards more algorithmic choice among the platforms. Sonana Rao speaking to Jenna Spinelli on the podcast Democracy Works. This is How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Jenna Spinelli then asks Sinan about the spread of fake news on social media. He said it's a small fraction of overall media consumption. However, that doesn't necessarily mean that we should be reassured, because in order to know whether that's important or not, we have to know, does it affect decision making? Take voting, for instance. When you look at the impact of fake news on voting, what you see is that The impact on vote choice 
i.e. who you will vote for conditional on the fact that you vote, is that it's negligible to zero. That basically fake news is not going to change someone's vote, say, from Donald Trump to Joe Biden or from Joe Biden to Donald Trump. But the second half of the story is that there is significant evidence that it affects voter turnout, that fake news, misinformation can sway or create or deter a very significant number of votes. And therefore, if elections are close in a district or in a state or in any given election, fake news could affect the results of that election through its effects on vote choice. And we should note that most of the misinformation campaigns that happened in 2016 and in 2020 were about voter suppression getting people to either vote or to not vote. And that's really the concern. And on that point about steps that the platforms have taken, you listed off several things that they've done, but they kind of center around triaging this content after it's been posted. Do you think that that is the correct approach, given what we also know and what you've said before about how this fake content spreads so much more quickly and has such a quicker reach than content that's truthful in nature? Yeah, I mean, I think that the platforms do have reactive and proactive approaches. So they have machine learning algorithms that are trying to identify fake news and getting to label it almost immediately as it's posted or right after it's posted to block things like the live streaming of mass murders, like the killing in Christchurch, New Zealand, that kind of content can be automatically filtered, flagged or taken down, banned prior to or just as it's being posted. Then there's a set of information that they label reactively upon seeing it posted or upon having it flagged by users. And then finally, they do have proactive approaches as well. So Taking down fake accounts, taking down malicious networks of bots and other actors is a proactive measure. So Facebook, for instance, has banned QAnon. They have been for weeks and months now working to take down QAnon. They have taken down a number of foreign networks. They have taken down a number of inauthentic accounts and so on. So those would be considered proactive measures. So before the pandemic started, I feel like some of these movements around delete Facebook and some of these other campaigns were starting to pick up steam, but then the pandemic hits and we're all doom scrolling on Twitter and buying masks from Instagram ads and watching videos on TikTok all day and really relying on these platforms for information, for social connection, for basically many, many aspects of our lives, much more so than before the pandemic. So how do you think COVID-19 has changed the appetite or the likelihood that some of the reforms that we've been talking about for the, the hype machine will come to fruition or the speed with which they'll come? Well, I think we have a window of opportunity right now in the next 18 to 24 months to start to make meaningful changes that really are absolutely necessary and critical. I mean, it is no doubt in my mind and now I think clear to everyone else. I've been researching this for 20 years, but I think now people are waking up to the fact that social media has an undue influence on 
vast elements of our society, from democracy to our public health, the spread of coronavirus misinformation, to our elections, to our economies, and so on. And so it's essential that we start to reform this system, and we have this window of opportunity. Now, it all begins with creating competition in the social economy. That is the entry ticket to solving the social media crisis. But when I say that, people immediately think, oh, you mean break up Facebook. And I think that it's not a breakup of Facebook that is going to solve the competition problem in social media. It's a structural reform of the social media economy itself. But that's the entry ticket. Create competition, because without competition, the platforms have no incentive to change their ways. We have to give them an incentive to change where they feel the pressure on their bottom line. Then we have a series of market failures that we have to deal with in turn. Privacy, the spread of falsity, free speech versus hate speech, election integrity. And I address each of these market failures in turn with what are the approaches to solve them. And in the book, I describe four levers that we have to steer social media towards the promise and away from the peril. And that's money, code, norms, and laws. Money is the business models of the social media platforms. We were just talking about the ad-driven model or the subscription model, which business model is the best for society. Code is the design of the platforms and the algorithms themselves underlying the platforms. Norms are how we adopt the technology and use it, and laws are how we regulate the technology. You also talk in the book about the kind of need or your vision for creating a national commission on technology and democracy. Do you think that there's any appetite for that in a Biden White House? Well, I certainly hope so, because we absolutely need more experts in this conversation. And right now, when I watch these hearings, congressmen and women questioning the heads of the social media platforms and so on, I can't help but think to myself that they could use a healthy dose of expertise, because I think that these topics are incredibly complex, nuanced they require rigor. They require us to bring science to bear on exactly what the implications of an algorithm or a policy are out there in society. Large-scale experiments that we've been conducting for 20 years, and when I say large-scale, I mean we do research on hundreds of millions of data points at a time. That kind of evidence is essential to really knowing what the implications of social media are for society. And to date, I do not see that expertise injected into the conversation enough. I don't see the right people with a seat at the table of the conversation. And that portends very bad outcomes for this in the long run. A national commission on technology and democracy would bring scientists, activists, platform leaders, academics of various kinds, as well as the platform leaders and members of industry and political leaders together to have a meaningful conversation that brings that science expertise and experience to bear on the questions at hand. Without that, I fear that this process will become highly politicized 
and will not be informed. And that lack of being informed is going to make it impossible to achieve the outcomes we want to achieve. So I implore the Biden administration to bring experts into their administration to deal with these absolutely essential topics and to create this commission. That was Sinan Aral speaking with Jenna Spinelli on the podcast Democracy Works. This is How Do We Fix It? Coming up next, our recommendation and then our conversation. You know, typically on podcasts when people do recommendations, it's some sort of form of media. Like we all need to be spending even more time consuming various entertainment and intellectual products. But you have something a little different for us today. Yeah, I was thinking about what I learned during the great lockdown, during the pandemic. And I think this is a pretty good exercise for everybody to try and learn something new before our our lives return to normal and our, uh, our social calendars get more crowded and we turn back to commuting. And I've learned something that most of you probably know how to do already, which is how to build a good fire. I, I was always miserably bad at it, but but I've actually figured it out. So that's really, that's so interesting to me. I mean, it maybe reflects a little bit of the difference in, in how we were raised. I was, you know, out in the woods. I went to a YMCA group that was kind of like the Boy Scouts, and we were building fires and collecting firewood at, I don't know, eight or nine years old. Uh, and it remains a great pleasure for me to do it elegantly, you know, without requiring a lot of paper or anything and getting that perfect fire going is really a thing of beauty. So much of what is said about social media is either obvious or incredibly repetitive. But what I found refreshing about Sanan Iral and the conversation that we just heard is that he raised some concepts that I think could be talked about a lot more. For instance, that algorithms as they're currently written have the tendency to polarize us, but that doesn't necessarily uh, have to be, that we could have different kinds of algorithms. Yeah, I was interested in that. The algorithm doesn't just have to drive engagement. It could also drive you could set other goals for the algorithm, like encouraging people to discover a more diverse range of sources. But what what Aral shows is there's a lot more nuance to it than just algorithms are bad. Algorithms are neutral, but they have a, a the subtle change in an algorithm can have big effects in the world, and we need to study that. And something else that reflects his multidisciplinary approach as an academic, an entrepreneur, and an investor is this idea that if we do have reform and perhaps a national commission, that this brings together much more than just the left or the right or techno-optimists or techno-negative people, that it also includes uh, true experts. Yes. And also, I think we need to be really open to the idea that some changes in regulation may well be part of the solution. And I, as this squishy libertarian on the podcast, I'm actually really interested in this question, given the power of these organizations. Sometimes you do need the government to step in and limit monopoly power, even if it's not an economic monopoly. But 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 I can feel your knee twitching right now, Jim. Not every problem is 
can be or should be solved solely by government action. Sometimes government action makes those problems worse. So, so in this case, I think we also need to be looking at what individuals can do. He talked about the, the need for competition. Some of that starts with the consumer. You know, you can stop using Google. You can use DuckDuckGo. Um, you can uh, you can stop using Facebook. So I was interviewing some young conservatives recently, and they said something about uh, they said something about how they organize and talk to people. And they said one of the most important things is to get off social media and talk to people face to face. Back to the future. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And our producer is Miranda Schaefer. Thanks for joining us on our podcast, which is a production of Davies Content. We make podcasts for companies and nonprofits. Uh, please check out our website at DaviesContent.com. Now you're going to go build that fire, Richard. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Wigs and the paper and the correct spacing and yes, I, I know. It's how all to do about it. ventilation. It's all about the airflow. <laughs> okay, my hot air is done. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.